For those who are listening, welcome to the Investor Lab, the auditory epicenter for passionate people seeking a life of freedom, choice, and abundance. And of course, for those who are listening, they won't know, but we are also live in our Facebook group, the Investor Lab, the home for a community of people looking to create a life of freedom, passion, choice, and abundance. And joining me today, we have Rebecca Morgan. Welcome. Thank you. Thanks for having us, Goose. It's an absolute pleasure. So, I'm really excited to um, have you on the show today. Now, for a little bit of context for the people that are listening and watching this, the last time we caught up was in uh, Nash, Vegas, Tennessee. And that was probably a few months ago. So I'm excited to hear how things have gone for you and and your business over that time. But the real reason I wanted to bring you on board is to get a bit of a perspective on what you do and how you help investors and renovators, a little bit about your unique story. So why don't you start by letting other people who don't know you as well as I do know what it is you do. I'm a registered builder. So I started my career in commercial construction and quickly worked out that I wasn't in love with working for people to start with. That was a fail. And also that I wasn't going to get ahead by earning a wage and I needed to do something else. So we started doing projects for other people and now we do projects and developments for ourselves and we also renovate for profit. So renovating for profit for ourselves and then we teach women how to renovate for profit and we teach women how to renovate their own homes. That being set up primarily because people seem to get into all sorts of trouble and they don't know what they don't know. Everyone's watched the block, they think they can do it, but it doesn't work like that. I guess I guess it's a little bit more in depth. It's like I wouldn't pretend to be an accountant. Maybe people shouldn't pretend to be a builder without investing a bit of time in that. Awesome. Okay. So I, I 100% agree because of course, I think a lot of people make mistakes when they try and go fully fully DIY. We see the same thing obviously uh, with ourselves. A lot of people come to us after they have gone out to start investing in property and, and have found themselves yeah. making mistakes all that kind of stuff. You're going to be in the same boat. But just go back a little step. So you started out as a commercial builder because I know you're a registered builder and that was one of the things that interested me, but you were a registered builder before you started Build Her Collective? Yeah, during the process. So I, I started in commercial property. So I was always always loved it from when I was young and did little things on the side from, you know, my early twenties. I had a rooming house was my first project. I took a house and turned it into a rooming house. Where was that? Do you Berwick. So forty two Ks out of Melbourne. There was a university nearby, it didn't have accommodation. So that was my kind of core concept. That's a great start. How old were you when you did that first project? early 20s. Like it was a cheap house, but it was a big house and had lots of rooms. So I was able to get eight rooms generating me a return. So the return was quite good. So the cash flow, there was capital growth, but not huge. So capital growth over a few years was there as well. Cool. I want to dig, I really want to dig into your personal investment story in a minute, but I think it's very interesting. I'd, I'd love you to explain to me and also to the listeners a little bit more about specifically about Build Her Collective and what that is and why that yeah. really started. Yeah, I mean, that started really because people kept on coming to us. We were building in the area and we built a little bit differently to other people. We build high-end homes, we build architectural homes and the, the last six of our projects have broken suburb records. So we're doing something that nice. resonates with the top end of the market and there's definite demand. But as part of that, friends, family, people we didn't know would come to us and say, I've got this problem with the builder, I've got this problem, can you help me? Can you manage this project? And it would be at the point where I'm trying to like, I get involved in the mess that they've created or has been created through whatever situation, 
Or I thought maybe there's a better way and if people know the right way to do this, then they won't get stuck. Like I've had people spend half a million dollars on architect fees without being able to build the project because it's coming so far over budget. I've had people, you know, even 20 grand, but even 20 grand, if you spend that on an architect's fee and you can't use that because it's not buildable, that hurts. You've got to earn that money. Surely there's some kind of liability transfer though back to an architect if they do something like that. Right? Yeah, but a lot of issues come from the way the agreement's set up and the communication and the scope creep, right? So it's about not understanding fully what you're asking for. And the architects yep. are professionals, but they don't control the outcome. And it depends on their contract. But And I'm not blaming architects. It happens with designers. It happens with builders. So they'll get quotes in that are too high or they'll have a fight with the builder halfway through or the variations go above what they can afford or the bank will pull lending or there's all these many things that can go wrong. But most of it's relationship driven, to be fair. And if you know what you need to do from the outset, it's very easy to put that in line. It's emotional, right? So when we build our homes and even investments, we're building wealth, like we're invested, this is emotional. And unfortunately, it becomes really hard to make those really, I guess, clear cut decisions. That's really interesting you say that because. I agree. It's funny because when we're talking about investments, we always say, you know, look at the numbers. It's not emotional. Yeah. And, but you're 100% yeah. right. It's, it's, it's entirely tied to emotion because A, we're not robotic. B, we want a specific outcome. We're not just tactically invested in the return. We, we have a desirous nature to achieve something. So it's always going to be wound up in a degree of emotion and passion and desire and, and, and everything like that. So I think it's really interesting. You started investing yourself and did your first projects in your early 20s, which was a rooming house project in Berwick. And then you continue to do that kind of stuff. We'll dig into a little bit more of that in a second. And then we're finding success and then people started coming to you. And going, yeah, hey. no, so it kind of like I was working in the commercial sector. So they were long hours. So I was general manager of a construction company in my right. late 20s. Okay. That was high pressure working for someone. It was sort of seven to seven, six days a week. And then I inherited, I, I met a man with two kids and I wanted to be around for those kids. And my boss informed me really kindly that I needed a house husband or a wife so I could perform that role. And I thought, I don't want to do that. That doesn't resonate with me. Like, that's mm. not the way I, like, I'd like to be around for my kids. So I quit, started a different business and we were building for other people, but it still just earns money, I guess would be the way. It's still just cash flow earning money. It was only when we took the decision and we had to sell our family home to start renovating for profit. It was only when we made that decision did we actually start our pathway towards real success to building the equity, building our family wealth and really setting forward our future. So just to clarify for me, that kind of all came before Build Her Collective? Yeah, that all came before Build Her Collective. So after we'd been doing that for a while and we started doing our own developments and we're in a reasonably high end. So for us, you know, some projects, like our first project took years to complete our home project because we were living in it we could afford what we could afford it was only when we sold that we were able to kind of unlock that equity and be able to build with speed and turn over a house or three a year that's kind of the model I like one to three houses per year 200 to 500 profit and it's pretty cruisy on the emotional level and the family level I've done five projects in a year and it gets too much to manage in the way yeah. we do it it just becomes stressful I guess and no longer fun and I'd prefer to stick with fun. You've got to prioritize fun and happiness, that's for sure. And, <laughs> and family, right? So tell me, why high end? Because I think there's there's definitely two kind of camps in the, you know, very broad acre real estate space. 
for ourselves, we're looking for stuff that's typically two hundred to five hundred thousand dollars. You know, we're in that kind of mortgage belt space yep. because we're looking for buy and hold kind of projects. Yeah, because you've maybe. got a cash flow strategy, right? Yes. So what we were trying to do, or are trying to do, we've got cash flow working aside from this, but that's a separate strategy to the ones where we're trying to build our capital and build that capital quickly. So for me, there's a couple of things at play. In the first instances, we were able to renovate and live in it and therefore it was a PPR, so principal place of residency and therefore you're able to do that, not continually, but you are able to do that and have, a, I guess, a, a tax break as long as you're needing that as your home and you need to speak to an accountant about that. This is not financial advice. <laughs> um, <laughs> the second thing was we were we really wanted to grow the wealth quickly and we were able to do that in high end. We happened to live in a suburb where we, there was a large gap in the market and high end suits. And I like managing a renovation in a, in a hands-on way and changing the value proposition of that home. And I really probably only build about five minutes from my house because I don't like traveling in the car too much. <laughs> a lot of constraints, don't I? I find that very interesting because what you've done is you have essentially not only managed to build personal wealth for you and your family, but you've also become the master of your own lifestyle design because you said, no, I'm not going to live that corporate life. I'm going to do it my way. And, and, and you've built a business that educates and helps other women to essentially walk a pretty similar path to you, right? Yep. And you've done yep. that all with constraints. The constraints of, I want to prioritize my lifestyle. I want to prioritize being a mother and I want to prioritize having time with my family. And I think that that's not only extremely powerful, but that's quite inspiring if I'm honest. Yeah, I really like it. And it gives you, you, you know, there's other rewards, right? The creativity and all of those things. So we've got a group and I think in our group, we've got about 70 we're growing, so I'm not quite sure, of women that are all developing for profit. And some of them uh, have 10 projects, 10 townhouse projects on the, the go at the one time and they're managing that. Some of them have a goal to turn over $20 million in a year, but other ones like me are, are more in the kind of one to three projects per year and that's really comfortable. You make a good income, you're growing pretty quickly and yeah. um, I guess you couldn't save that if you were going to to work for someone. No, you absolutely could not save that. So when you talk about developments, do you differentiate between doing actual developments? So land, subdivide, build, all of that kind of stuff, or renovate for profit or rooming houses? Do you still I don't. Do all, no, or? I will do what suits me at the time and what suits the strategy. So at the moment, I'm at the tail end of one subdivision, but they're two houses. Actually, that's the way I like to subdivide, to be fair. I don't like to do townhouses. I like to take a subdivision where I can get two full-size houses and that's the kind of thing. But that's because I like the creativity of building a house and a home um, and that appeals to me. We have done subdivisions. We've done low-end renovations. We've done knockdown rebuilds. We've done rooming houses. When it comes back to it, it depends on what the numbers will tell us. It depends on what our strategy is in terms of both time, equity and outcome. And I guess it depends on you know, our appetite for risk. Okay, that's really interesting because I mean, I often advocate that people need to get A, clear on where they want to go holistically. And obviously, it's about understanding what is the best next step in your journey. But to be very clear, to be like, okay, the next project is going to be X, you know, whatever that may be. Maybe yeah. it's a subdivision. Do you define it that clearly? Do you know, okay, the next project is going to be this? Or do you go, the next project could be anything and I'm going to therefore look for all kinds of options 
at the same yeah, time. Yeah, so you get to a point where the projects will come to you. Um, how very fortuitous. <laughs> that sounds nice. <laughs> how wonderful, isn't it? Yeah. So once you've done it for a bit, the projects kind of come to you and the opportunities are everywhere really is what I'd say. It's more about picking things that are real opportunities versus things that tie up your money and make you a small return. So what I'm normally looking for is how much time my cash is going to be tied up and whether that's equitable with the return on the investment, whether there's a family strategy that goes in that, like am I building a house for me and subdividing and selling off another house? Do I need to do something like that. Really, sometimes what I find people get wrapped up in is they think that, well, they've been told that like subdivision or doing townhouses is the way to go. So they'll go down this path of doing a project, the market will shift or whatever. And you'll go through a process and it might do seven townhouses. It might take them four years to go through the planning process and build them. And then I go, great, I've made half a million dollars. Those numbers sound fairly realistic in the kind of inner suburbs, which is fine, except for the fact that if you were doing different projects, what could you have earned in that five years? That's $100,000 a year and you might have tied up $3 million. That doesn't sound sound like a very great annualized return on a project like that to me. No, it doesn't, but people don't tend to, for some reason, people don't tend to look at that. They look at the holistic number and they go, that's great. And they forget to see that also the market shifted in that period of time. Now, what you can buy is different to what you could buy before. And so I'm kind of looking across both things. I might have a subdivision that I'm, I've bought and I'm holding because I know that's going to take a few years to come through council or there might be a different strategy. And I might do a renovation project at the same time to keep that mm-hmm. flow happening. Do you prioritize equity in a broad acre sense? Do you prioritize equity capture or cash flow strategies? At the moment, it's been equity to build to a point. So, and we're probably about to shift into cash flow. And you want both working together, really. That's where what you guys is great. I mean, you do it at a level which is far more affordable perhaps than what I do it, but maybe my returns can be higher in one year, but you've got more outlay. I absolutely agree. And I was actually going to ask if someone wanted to go down that path and if someone wanted to, if, if likes the sound of they're like, oh my God, developments and renovate for profits and high end and creativity and all of that kind of stuff, how much capital do they need to get started? Like what kind of buffer, like what's the starting point for someone to go and start doing that? Yeah. I mean, it depends on the level that they're looking to go into and it depends on their suburb. Like I'm working in my suburb, you'd need quite a bit of capital to do a project. And it depends on your funding structure as well, because you might have land, you might be able to get funding structure where you just, the development is on a one or two year loan where you pay it back. So you're not actually outlaying that at the time, you don't have to do servicing requirements, but you've got a limited loan, right? That project needs to run through. So it just depends on your particular situation and where you're located. We have people doing projects in outer suburbs and obviously they don't need a huge amount of cash flow to start with that but you do need enough to be able to renovate it um i prefer to not use the bank for renovation that's my preferred option why because they put a whole heap of conditions and monitor you and tell you what to do Mm. which is fine there's structure behind that but if you've got the cash flow then i'd prefer to use the equity out of the property and be able to structure the renovation funds myself rather than having to go to a bank and tie myself up with a QS and a um, construction funding is a touch more difficult than just a regular house loan. Okay, let's just touch on lending and finance there for a little bit since mm-hmm. we're sort of straight into that territory. So fun. <laughs> oh, it's, so, it's so good. Everyone loves My finance. My favourite. 
we did we did, we did, a, we did a poll in the group recently about you know sort of what what people's biggest questions are what are they and and overwhelmingly it was it's property finance and it always is property finance everyone wants to know how does it work i'm sure there's different finance structures as you kind of alluded to there for different projects do you just get a big fours? Do you go to private lenders? Is it third tier lenders? Is there special lending categories? Do you know what? I have only work? needed big fours at the moment, but we've crossed over to needing development funding for the next one. And actually, we've got another project happening at the moment where we're looking at investor shares. So seven investors at 200 grand with a 20% return over a year. But that's by being able to take that project, break it down and have multiple parties get involved. You'd obviously need a pretty robust track record as well to be able to... Right. And I have that, so that's fine. But also to to have people have faith in that, to me, that's a massive responsibility. Huge responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. But the numbers are what the numbers are. And if you've been doing it long enough, you know what those numbers are mm. from the onset. And so you're fairly comfortable with how that's going to situate. Now, the thing is about selling property is you never actually have a complete sale price. Right, we've got an estimate because someone on the day, again, it's an emotional investment. It could go for this, it could go for that. And there is a variation in what it will go for. Luckily today, and I'll touch wood, but everything we've sold, because we make that emotional connection, we put a lot of effort and energy into doing the right thing for the right Mm. house to really giving a value proposition, which means that you can't just go out and buy another one of our houses. You can't buy a house, pop a box on the back and say, oh yeah, that's just like that right? They've got a unique value proposition and that's what drives those prices up because you don't have the comparables. How do you define that unique market proposition or how do you differentiate yourself or, or understand the market need? Because it's, it's easy to go in and just be like, oh yeah, cool. I'll, I'll add a new kitchen or I'll do a, you know, a whatever. But yeah. how, do you, how do you specifically go, we're going to do something, we're going to make it different? I guess you've got to have the funds to be able to carry out that renovation and make it different. I use architects in our projects and I'll have a pretty clear idea about where we're going with the project. We are in a higher suburb, so the last few houses of ours have sold over the $3 million kind of mark. And what we're really kind of targeting is I can't buy this again. There's no replacement value. So this house in this location has something significant about it and then that renovation, I can't just replicate. Yeah, so we're taking that out of it and we're really appealing to the aspirations of the purchasers because we all want to live that magazine lifestyle now, right? Absolutely. So we've got a question in the group here that says, where do you see the cutover point or the crossover point from equity to cash flow and why? Yeah, that's a a great question. For us, and actually I think for everyone, it needs to come into your unique strategy. So for me, it's about being able to sustain the building projects and be able to build the capital. So at some point, you'll have enough capital to be able to do what you want to do without over-leveraging. I'm not heavily geared, I have to say. I don't sit in a heavily geared facility. It, it, it just hasn't been my, my thing. And so now we're crossing over to cash flow because that passive income becomes as important. So whilst I can earn the chunk money or the lump sums of money, Mm. I also want to have that passive income that I don't have to work for or don't have to put effort and energy into. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm very interested to know, why specifically do you guys only help women? Well, it is a male-dominated area in terms of the building. So only 3% (laughs) (laughs) 3 of builders are men, right? 21% of uh, owner builders are women, by the way. 
just in case you're wondering, in Victoria as per the VBA stacks. But I actually think it would be higher than that because I think it's based off, you have to be on the title. And I would say that there's a fair amount of couples where the, the man's on the title, maybe not the woman. That's a very interesting disparity there. So th- so 3% of like registered builders, commercial builders, or, or have you want to word it, are uh, women? Yep. But 21, 21%, 21 or more percent are owner builders. Yeah. Uh, and owner buildings on the rise. I guess for us, it seems to be the woman that has, in the general case that we're looking at, that has the interest into creating the home for their family and creating a lifestyle that works for them. And so I feel like it's a real privilege to renovate your home. And I know a lot of people take the negative on that. And they're like, oh, I'm renovating and it's negative. And I'm like, what a privilege. You are creating spaces that you will entertain your friends, your family, your kids for years to come. And so those decisions become really important. So for us, it's about really helping the people that are organizing that. And in our situation, we find that, well, everyone who comes to us is a woman. But in sort of 80 to 90% of the people we were speaking to, it was the woman that was driving that home environment and driving the selection of finishes and the way the lounge room and the, everything will work together. And they will be working with their partner, but there needs to be one person who's driving it. Also, the woman in a partnership seems to have more, like if they're at home in our core market, if they're at home with the kids, they'll be the one running around and doing the interaction with the builder and managing that process. So that for us was why we kind of targeted women. And there seemed to be nothing specifically out there for women. Women will ask great questions too and seem to be open to learning about the process so they get it right for the future. Not to say that men wouldn't be, but... On a personal level, I am intrigued at the great disparity in a a broad acre sense of the male-dominated disparity across the whole real estate sector. And I often wonder why, because in my experience, I tend to find, as you pointed out, that women ask better questions and they're more intuitive and they, they approach things differently, but I don't necessarily understand why. You know, if I looked at our clients, I would say, I haven't done actually done the math, but I would say 75% would be male. I well, interestingly, in a passive investment case, I would associate that more with a male-dominated area. Interesting. Okay, but in your case, it's more creatively based? Yeah. Mm. And emotion, right? It's driven by emotion and the sales driven by the emotion and the want to do something that's, greater than whatever they're doing at the at the time, create that wealth for their families. You know, it's not tied to the dollars in the sense, it's kind of tied to the the other values in their life. So you've got kind of two segments to build her collective, if I yep. if I remember this correct. You've got a course, okay, which teaches people how to how to renovate. build a home, renovate build or a home. build a home. Yeah. And then you've got the inner circle, the mastermind, which is like for de- people who want to develop and that's kind of the higher, higher level aspect, right? Yeah. Nice. And the people who are doing the, um, doing the course, are they typically yeah. people who are renovating their own home or are they people who are getting started wanting to renovate for profit? So, no. So, the people who are doing the course, so there are however many people there are at them and I think there's about five. So, we're five to one. Yeah. So, there'd be five people in that group of people that were renovating their own home to one person who's looking to develop for profit. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's a big commitment. But you get a lot of different stories. And the interesting thing is there's people that don't have confidence. There's people that are doing a whole heap of stuff or have done a few renovations that really want to do it seriously now. But everyone has this amazing drive and passion 
behind them. So that's in the development for profit. And smaller group, for sure, it's like 20% of the, the overall numbers. But those women are doing amazing things. I guess they're changing the landscape as well because they're really proving that women are very good at future planning. I kind of had this theory that... <laughs> Project management of a project is really, if you can get your kids out the door with their shoes on and their lunches and on time to school, you can pretty much project manage to build. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. That's awesome. That is good. And I'd probably agree. We don't have kids, but I can definitely, um, I can, I can definitely see the, the correlation. So you spoke then about drive and passion. What's yours? You had the corporate life going on. You went, no, no more for me. I want my family. Boom. And you started doing it for yourself. You could have just built your own wealth and been done with that. So what inspired you to start Build Her Collective and what is your motivation? What are your goals? Where are you going with it? For me, and this, you'll probably learn this if you ever do a big renovation on a home, you're dealing with guys and trades on site. And um, whilst I'm the registered builder, I, you know, often people will be like, oh, so you're the bookkeeper for your husband, which is fine. But that's not what I am. What I, what I do is more than that. And for me, I needed a sense of being able to relate to women who get what's going on, people who are interested and enthusiastic and engaged. And whilst the trades are really enthusiastic in our projects because they're fun and they're different and they're interesting, they bend over backwards to do what we want. It's different than having a group of women around you that understand what it's like to renovate for profit, that understand that there are highs and there are lows and we need to really try and work on our energy. I know you do a lot of energy work, Goose, but like work on our energy because whilst we're going through the project, there are peaks and troughs and there are times where it can feel overwhelming and there are times where it feels great. So if you can surround yourself by people that are all amazing and enthusiastic and trying to do something and get ahead and create wealth for their family, that's really why we started it. And the developers circle really started because we started the renovate for your own home first because I thought it would be amazing to be surrounded by peers who all had the same common interest and were all trying to achieve this goal. Absolutely. And so that's a great, another point. So that's a mastermind that you've created. We met at a uh, entrepreneur's mastermind and I totally agree that masterminds are the best way to surround yourself with like-minded individuals also getting the same kind of goals. Uh, How long have you been running that mastermind yourself? Uh, So that one's two and a half years old. So we've had two we you know, yearly groups, yep. Have people just stayed or is it just... Yeah, no, they're all around. We had an event because <laughs> we do... Um, That's awesome. <laughs> we do an event and we do kind of like build her catch-ups. And so we ran an event the other day in one of the build her's houses because she, again, she was developing for profit and she's got her house on the market. So we all went to support her. So I think 50 of us went over, had some glasses of champagne, caught up, saw what she was doing. (laughs) She kind of went through her process and journey with it. And we all get to learn and share the joy of that creation as well. And I think that's beautiful. I think it's really nice to kind of have that group around you. And I guess, you know, in answer to that, like you and I met at a mastermind. We know the value of continuing to learn and Mm. being at the top of your game. And the top of our game is where we want to be. Oh, absolutely. And also, I don't think on a personal level, there is nothing more important and inspiring to me than building a community. I think that building a community where you can all share value, inspiration, knowledge, all of that kind of stuff ultimately is going to raise the frequency of the community. You know, I, I think that yeah. on, a per, on a personal level, I'm so motivated by building communities of like-minded individuals. So 
obviously you are currently inspiring a lot of other women to you know achieve financial success building success real estate success who do you look up to who inspires you well i'm part of other groups which are doing more and greater and bigger and better things than i am and i nice. guess that inspires me to then pass on the knowledge that i've got and look the investments that you make to be part of these groups aren't small but they're so valuable and so worthwhile i've had a number of mentors over the years and they're not people that are say big names or but they're people that have taken the time and the effort to kind of coach me through the next thing and they're doing bigger and better things than i'm doing and they can teach me so much but by being open to ask the questions and being open to learn and take on board their feedback you can grow so quickly and get so much better than you can if you're trying to figure everything out by yourself would you agree? I absolutely 100% agree. I have personally, and uh, you know, with Gabby, we've invested quite a lot in our education and also in coaching and mentorships and masterminds and all of that kind of stuff. And for me, those kind of uh, communities and environments, yes, they come with a price tag, but it takes one, it takes one moment of perspective. It takes yep. one new idea. It takes one click to make every single cent that you spent 100% worthwhile, not to mention the network and the community and the connections and stuff that you make. So I, I, I fundamentally think that if anyone wants to excel and exceed, you've got to surround yourself with people that don't have to be miles ahead of you. You don't have to try and go, yeah. okay, how, how do I get into a mastermind with Tony Robbins or, 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 or Elon Musk or something like yeah. that? But to surround yourself with people who are going to give you that perspective that you need to be able to take that next step, I think is critically important. Yeah, and I find so much learning comes out of the actual group and the people you meet from there. I, we are both in property. We're both from Australia. The, the group is actually run. It's a US-based group or a worldwide group, I should say. But we can both learn from each other, right? So I find what you do really interesting in terms of the cash flow and being able to help people that don't have that higher level of equity. And so I'm able to refer people to you that might ring me and say, look, I've got hundred grand and I want to do a renovation project and buy a house. I'm like, well, that's probably not a realistic goal. It sounds lovely. And I agree that that might be something in your path in the future, but right now it's not a realistic goal. So maybe you need to be looking at a different portfolio and you can help serve them. That's the, the kind of perspective that I have as well. There is no one right strategy. There is no one right strategy. Like you're obviously making huge successful returns on the projects that you're doing. But it's, it's horses yeah. for courses. And you know, I think a lot of people need to understand where they are in their journey to go, okay, what is the right next step for me? And you can maybe move into that kind of stuff later. So, I mean, one of my mentors was doing, you know, massive apartment buildings with 80 or 90 apartments in it and big blocks and land developers. Look, it's not where I am either. Are you ever going to you ever gonna do that? Are you ever going to do a, um, a 50, 60 unit high rise or something like that? I really don't like saying never because <laughs> I don't know what I would do. I think my philosophy behind doing something like that would be a little bit different. I have been involved in several high-rise apartment, either refurbishments or I built, you know, helped build 96 apartments in the city. But I think for me, what fits in with my lifestyle, I don't, like we haven't talked about this, but I've got a, quite a significant pile of children adding up and keeping on growing <laughs> and it doesn't this pile it, of kids that you're trying to get out the door every day yeah. <laughs> I know, right? it's real and for me it doesn't fit in my stress levels 
and it doesn't fit in my risk portfolio. It's just not something that I'm also particularly interested in. I'd prefer to play where I can be more creative and it's less that type of project is a lot of different types of skills and management to say the type of project I'm doing, which is also a lot of different types of skills and management to say the projects you're doing. I couldn't agree more. So if we've got a lot of people in this group uh, already. I mean, it's it's a fairly new group and a fairly new podcast where we're getting, I think, around yeah. 500 listeners per episode at the moment, which is amazing. And Fantastic. You know, we're definitely cranking up the numbers in the group. And I, I know that a lot of people out there renovate. Now, there are different stages. Some people are looking at $300,000 regional real estate purchases and they want to just do a cosmetic renovation. Some people want to do major renovate for profits and all of that kind of stuff. So for any kind of investor or someone who wants to renovate, what are some kind of key things that you can share that they should look out for or some mistakes they should avoid or, or, or tips that they should know about to try and help them obviously find success and avoid failure? Where we start is really understanding your scope. It sounds easy, but people don't understand what they're asking for. So they'll get, say, a builder around and they'll go, oh, I need to do this and this. And I just put on a room with a kitchen and a bathroom. And because you're asking kind of what I'd say, not informed questions, you're not going to get a very informed answer back, right? So if you can understand and really spend some time and invest in exactly what your outcome that you're trying to achieve is, that's going to pay you back in dividends. Not only will people want to actually work with you because as soon as someone looks like hard work, we don't want to work with them. It's just the builder doesn't want to work with you. He's like, you're hard work. I'll put the price up. I'll work with you if you pay me double. And it's floppy and you're not going to get a clean outcome. So spend the time going through and putting the numbers in, doing the scope, right? So the scope's first. Then set your budget based on the scope. So itemize everything that you've listed in that scope and really work out what an amount or a realistic amount would be. So a good way to do this is if you're looking at a house that you might need to renovate and you haven't purchased it, when you go through the front door, take a list and just note down in every room what you need to do. It sounds easy, but so many people just go, oh, 100 grand or oh, 50 grand or oh, 30 grand, it'd be fine. Just to jump in there, Gabby and I, for example, are very different. My attention to detail is pretty... Slim. I'm like, big picture, let's go. Yep. I would walk through and I'd be like, I'd probably see a lot of things where I'd be like, bang, bang, yep, yep, cool. And I, I will see, I'll see 10 solutions in five minutes, whereas Gabby will notice things that I, I'll, I'll be like, I didn't even see that. Like, what, like yeah. what, what window? I, I, you know, yeah. so I guess what I'm asking is, you don't know what you don't know, right? So is there any way to... Yeah, well, no, the, the way to actually know that is to start by starting at the front door and working out what you're trying to achieve. So if you don't actually start at the front door and work out what you're trying to achieve and what the scope of the project is and make a list of that, then you'll miss things. But by actually forcing yourself to go into a room and write it all down, you'll actually pick up so much more. And because you've picked it all up, you'll be able to set a budget. Now, scope and budget's one thing, but that doesn't tell you anything. That just tells you what you've decided is. We then need to look at really what our outcome needs to be and what the value proposition is. It may be that this isn't a great house to renovate like that, or it may be that you've chosen to do the wrong renovation in it to actually make a profit. So there are so many different ways to skin a cat. So we need you to kind of start assessing things. Case in point, we've got people that want to do subdivisions, right? So they'll go into an old house and they'll go, great, this block's big enough to subdivide. So I'll run the numbers for subdivision. Fantastic. Have you actually run the numbers for doing a renovation as well? Have you looked at all the things that could happen on that site Mm. and really maximized your return out of that? 
So how does someone know if they're going to do the wrong type of renovation? Well, it's the numbers. The numbers tell you. I'm not a fortune teller any more than anyone else. I just run my numbers and, and I'm very good at running numbers. I guess where I'm getting to, because I could walk into somewhere and be like, I'm going to spend $30,000 on a bathroom and nothing on the kitchen and that might be the completely wrong thing. So, you know, is there any kind of shortcut or do you, do you just look at, do you just take time to study the market in that price range? You need okay. to know the market because every market's different. Mm. Some markets like the market I build in likes uh, architectural quirky houses. Other markets that wouldn't be a very good fit at all and you'd either be overcapitalizing or the market wouldn't want that. So you're not going to get that response. So you need to study the market. A really easy way to do that with renovations is take something that's been renovated or built and reverse engineer it. And so take the number of what it was sold for Take the number of what it was purchased for whenever it was purchased and run the numbers. Don't forget to put stamp duty in. Don't forget to put interest costs in. And don't forget to use a square meter rate that is actually you know, somewhat realistic. If you don't know what's realistic, call a builder in the area. They're more than happy to give you a quick five-minute chat about what you should be allowing for a project coming up. And then at the end of that, you'll be able to see whether they made money or they didn't make money. So many people renovate houses or knock down and build houses and don't make any money because they're not they're not running their numbers properly that is a great point and actually probably something that i maybe not have even considered enough myself that just because you could look at a comparable that's for sale you could look at two houses with exactly the same layout in the same suburb and you go okay well renovated that one for sale is that much but you have no idea whether that renovation turned a profit in the first place unless you go back to the sale price reverse engineer the numbers and try and work that out. That's valuable. Like when you get good at it, it takes no more than 10 minutes and it's really quite enjoyable. Yeah. And I'm nosy, right? So then I might want to ring the real estate agent and see what he knows about it. I actually like talking to real estate agents because if you are good at engaging in conversation, uh, congenial, amenable and, and friendly, you can get so much, so yeah. much information out of a real estate that is going to help, absolutely help real estate agent. Which a is great question for that is what's that house easier to sell? Oh, what was the feedback on it? Did people really like it? What didn't they like about it? Now you've got some tips about what you would do if you were renovating a house in that area. So if you bought something to renovate, I'd, I would make sure that I put that in my plan to ring the real estate agents, understand what needs to happen and understand what the market's asking for and what they're driven by. Yeah, nice. That's good. And have you got any other tips that people can uh, use on their journey that you can share? Oh, there's so many. It's more about where you're starting mm. and understanding that you're, what value you can bring to the table. So often people will be really good in one area and it's not even, right? So they might be really creative, but then they find the managing the cash flow or they find managing the budget quite hard. So where you are not good, you need to really backfill or work to backfill and you need to be upskilling along the way. It's not the block. We don't have supervisor Dan kind of coming in we don't have a camera team fixing you know and a team of people fixing up our mistakes this is our real money it's hard earned and we really do need it to make a profit so be smart educate yourself understand the process but really understand the process don't be flippant with it and I guess the more you can understand and the more you can kind of really hit the nail on the head and the kind of understand what the buyer is looking for and what experience they want and energy they want that's where you'll get the most out of it i want to ask one last question before we wrap up now out of all of the projects that you have done personal not personal whatever out of all of the projects that you have done which one has been your favorite and why 
like trying to make me choose between my children. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a pile of children, trying to sift through a pile, pile of, of children. children. And I like different ones for different reasons. <laughs> <laughs> Same as my favorite. There's one project, Cunningham Street, that I did that I, I really loved the design. I really liked the way it came together in terms of the problem it was solving. It was a it was a difficult site. It had planning. It was a narrow site. We got city views. We had a side drive. A whole heap of constraints. And I really loved the way that came together, and it appealed to me for that. But I think every time I do it, I'm not. I don't do the same project over and over. A lot of builders, you know, you see one house, and then the next house is exactly the same, and the next house isn't. You know, they've changed the color of the carpet. We don't do work like that. We really try and explore and develop what we're doing along the way. My favorite project at the moment is the one I'm working on right now. I loved the one I sold last year, but equally so, I've got a set of townhouses coming up and they are going to be amazing. And I'm really excited to be constantly building with them. So I guess because I get so much excitement from each one, I kind of like each one as I go. And it really does sound to me like the biggest stimulator for joy for you in all of these projects is really the creative outlet. Yeah, for sure. It doesn't take a lot of time once you know what you're doing. It doesn't take that much time or energy to be able to manage a process or Mm -hmm. run the building, but trying to create the right outcomes takes a lot of thought and planning. Mm -hmm. So it fits really well with the lifestyle. And I guess what I love is that there's a community of women around me that are all building, renovating, helping each other. Oh my God, they help each other. They're so nice. I kind of liken renovating to having a newborn baby. The only person who cares about what time you woke up in the morning to feed your baby is someone with a baby of the same size or same age. Beyond that, no one cares. It's kind of like, yeah, you're tired. You had a baby. Renovations are exactly the same. The only person who really cares to get into it. And we have a community of people that really care and they're really trying to help each other and will help people with suppliers. We have a supplier book that our people can use, which gives them access to all the discounts and supplier agreements that we've set up. So everyone's helping each other and that brings me immense joy. That's awesome. And if there are any women listening to this podcast or in the group watching this or watching this later and they want to find out more, if they want to maybe talk to you about potentially doing your course or or even learning about development or joining joining your mastermind, how, how can they reach out to you? Yeah, so there's a couple of ways. So either go on Instagram, which is um, at Built Her Collective, or you can go to our website, builtercollective.com.au. You can just send us an email and we will get back to you. We have a free Facebook group as well. We will chuck a link. So if you are in, Thank the, you. <laughs> if you are in, if you are in the Investor Lab Facebook group, we will drop a link and we'll share that on this episode live. And if you are not in the Investor Lab Facebook, Facebook group, <laughs> then you should be. And you can join that group by heading to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash the investor lab. And Rebecca, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time to join me, join our community and share your insights, ideas and vision. And and it's, it's inspiring what you guys are doing. Obviously way different to what we're doing, but that's also so completely and utterly interesting to me. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me, Goose. And thanks for taking the time to, I guess, set up a group which really helps and supports people on their investor journey. It's really tricky to start out with. And the more people that we have around us that are supporting that, that provide education, the better. So I really thank you for, for that as well. My absolute pleasure. Mate, I look forward to speaking to you soon. Take care. Bye.